Let's turn to the first chapter of Luke, learn more about this baby who has changed everything. Luke chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 26 and go through verse 38. So if you're able, will you stand with me as I read the word of God today? Heavenly Father, come upon us with your Holy Spirit, that we might understand your word, that it might be fixed within our hearts and our minds, that we might live live this out. What you have told us is true. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now when it comes to uh, Sunday mornings in the month of December, I'm sure you either find great comfort or perhaps a little monotony um, because there are only so many verses and there's only really one topic that we deal with at this time of the year and it is the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not that Christ could ever be ho-hum, but you know the passages we're looking at and you know that the promises that generations before held in their hearts and in their hands and waited for those promises are fulfilled in this moment at the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mary's obedience, Joseph's meeting with the angel, you know all of history hinges on this event. The Son of God leaves the right hand of the Father, takes on the form of a child, and is born in Bethlehem. It it doesn't get any better than that, okay? I I can't embellish it. I can't make it any more exciting because that is, it is everything Everyone who understood the promises of God had been waiting for, and it has been fulfilled. 
It was the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy when Gabriel, the same angel who visited her, visited Mary with news of what the Lord was to do. Little town in Nazareth, just south of the Sea of Galilee. Now, we know that at this time, Mary was pledged to marry Joseph. The pledge carried the same authority as a real marriage did, except that Mary and Joseph did not come together to consummate their union. Mary and Joseph were both descendants of the line of David. We see that in Luke, the genealogy of Joseph is given, and in Matthew, the genealogy of Mary is given. The message given to Mary is really matter of fact. There is no fanfare. There is no flowery language. It is simply a statement of fact of what the Lord is doing. And that, by its very nature, gives credence to it. Okay? What if I wanted to describe some big event to you? It would be the most spectacular. It would be the most wonderful. It would be the best thing that you had ever seen. And perhaps I'm only talking about lunch or something like that. We are talking about the birth of the Son of God in this world, and it is simply stated as fact. This is what will happen. And what does Mary say? Does she say, you kidding me? You're, you know, this, you're crazy. You're going to pick on me? No. She says, let it be done to me as the Lord says. That's all that it is. An economy of words. I think the gospel, the gospels, all of the gospels are very clear with this. These big events, they simply state as fact. And that's all that we need. A simple statement of fact. You cannot add to the fact that the Savior of the world is to be born. All the previous generations have waited for this. We see the genealogy listed over here in chapter 3 of Luke. That they lived imperfectly, but they lived waiting for this event. They lived with the promise that their salvation is wrapped up in this event. It is not wrapped up in their obedience in the Old Testament. It is wrapped up in the birth of Christ. For the Old Testament saints were not saved by the law. No one could be saved by the law. They were saved by grace. The grace that was delivered in the one that they looked for, the one that they waited for, the one that would come generations after they had gone. After all these years, after all these generations, Gabriel announces to a virgin named Mary that she would be the bearer of God, that the Holy Spirit would come upon her, would indwell her, and she would conceive, and this son that she would bear would be named Jesus. This is the way that God works. He doesn't work in the big showy ways often that we think we would do it. I mean, uh, if you were going to announce the birth of the Son of God, the Savior of the world, you might take out ads, you might do billboards, you might do radio spots and TV, you'd have the cameras there ready right for the birth at that moment. Nobody was there but Joseph and Mary and the Lord. That was... The Lord's plan. Now, here in the first chapter of Luke and in Mary and Joseph's life, we have to understand that there had not been a word from the Lord, there had not been a miracle, there had not been a visit from an angel in over 400 years. Since the final book of the Old Testament, Malachi, was written 400 years previously, there had been no word from the Lord. 500 years for a visit of the angels, of any angel. No one had heard anything like this. And all of a sudden it happens. God speaks through an angel about a miracle. 
Now, Mary lives in a non-miraculous world. But when the angel came to her and spoke to her, she believed. Now, she didn't understand it, but she didn't say, no, you have to be kidding me. This can't possibly happen. She just asked for a simple explanation. How can this be? How can this be? Now, Mary did understand that the angel was not saying to her, go ahead and consummate your marriage to Joseph, and therefore you will then bear a son. The angel was not saying that to her. The angel was saying very clearly, do not do that, because what will come upon you is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And evidence of this is the shock of Joseph when he hears and finds out that Mary is pregnant, and he wonders how this can be. And he decides to put her away quietly until the angel comes and visits him. Now, in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the angel, when Mary says, how can this be? I am a virgin. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's simply a repetition of the same thing. The, Most High, the power of the Most High will overshadow you and for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. The holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Straightforward, no fanfare, simply, directly, the Holy Spirit will do this. Mary says, how can this be? The Holy Spirit will do this. And because of that, you will bear the Son of God. It is the work of the Lord. Look at verse 35, and for that reason. Your your translation may say, therefore. Therefore, or for that reason shall be called the Son of God, because it's the work of God. It was the work of the hands of men. It wasn't the work of the plan of, of Joseph and Mary together. It was the work of the plan of our Heavenly Father, and it was by his hand and by his power through the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't be surprised at this, that the Holy Spirit is here in the midst of creation. The earth was formless and void. The Spirit of God hovered over it and moved over it, this formless mass, and began the creative process. We see the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all at work in creation. We see the Father and the Son and the Spirit all involved here. No text in Scripture remotely suggests anything other than the work of the Spirit. No other passage, no other text even hints that there was human action involved in the conception of Jesus Christ, for it was the work of our Heavenly Father. Now, some people will say that the conception uh, of Christ, that that, uh, uh, the importance of the virgin birth is not really essential to the doctrine of of the Christian faith. We don't really have to believe in the virgin birth. I mean, yes, we talk about it, but it's not really that important. Well, uh, that makes a, a, a... Quite a problem if you do away with the virgin birth, if you have any human activity involved in that, then what you're doing is saying that um, this uh, individual, Jesus, was born, and at some point in his life, God looked upon him and said, you know what, that's a good man, and I'm going to adopt him as my son and make him Christ. Well, that is called adoptionism, and that's a heresy that's been tossed out again and again and again. So you must have the work of the Holy Spirit. Joseph is nowhere involved. It is the Lord and Mary. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, let me read this for you. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. 
This talks about Jesus. In him all the fullness of deity dwells. Why does the fullness of deity dwell? Because he is the same substance, the same essence of our Heavenly Father. Why? Because he was conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does this mean? Okay? I want, I want to get down to this. We, we, we know what time of the year it is. We've probably heard a sermon or two, or how long, depends on how long you've been in the church, 15 or 20 on the virgin birth. But what does this mean that the Holy Spirit, the Most High God, has come upon Mary? Does, does the Holy Spirit come upon us? I mean, are there any, any ladies out here who are like Sarah? Maybe you're past the time of having a child and you're 90 and you're thinking, well, does, does that mean I'm going to have a child? Or maybe does that mean you've got unmarried girls? Is the Lord going to come and, and, and the Holy Spirit dwell in me? No, this is a one-time event here. There'll be no more births of Jesus anywhere. But what does this mean for us? Well, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary for a particular purpose, and that was the conception of Christ. The child that was conceived in her womb was the Son of God. Now, while Jesus was here, he did a great many things, miraculous things. And he told us prior to his ascension, John 14, 12. If you've got your Bible open, we better turn there. John chapter 14, verse 12. Because this is part of the indwelling of the Spirit. How the Spirit comes upon us today. John chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. When Christ went to the Father, he promised to give us the Holy Spirit, by whom we would be empowered to do the work of the kingdom. The Lord did not leave us on our own to achieve the things that he called us to because we could never achieve them on our own power and our own authority. Now, are we really empowered to do what verse 12 says? The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go to the Father. That is, whoever believes in me. He shall do these things. Greater works than Christ. Now that's what it says. I, I, I've never raised anybody from the dead, have you? Sometimes I think I have trouble keeping people awake, let alone raising people from the dead. Okay. What does this mean? What does it, Now, it wouldn't be here unless it applied to us because we are he who believes. That's every believer, everyone whose life has been changed by Jesus Christ, the child born of a virgin, upon whom the Spirit came and indwelt in a powerful way. Doesn't the Spirit come upon us, we who believe, so that we might do works that Christ did, but also what? Greater works than these he shall do. Now, we know that the apostles... After Christ ascended, they did some miraculous things, but they didn't do them quite on the same level that Jesus did. 
And then with the the going of the apostles, we see a great drop-off of any of these miraculous things throughout the church. Now, we still do see miracles within the church, but they are done in a particular fashion whenever the Lord deems it appropriate. I don't know anybody who can walk down the, the third floor of the hospital in the cancer ward and go into the rooms and heal, heal people. We just don't see that. But what we do see is elders coming together when there is a request and praying and anointing. We do see the Lord at work. There are plenty of people that we know who can attest to God's healing power, whether it be a physical healing, whether it be a healing in a marriage, in a relationship, whether it be uh, a miraculous thing that we uh, think can never happen, yet, but yet the Lord brings it to be. In fact, Paul is very clear that not everybody is a miracle worker. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Do all have the gifts of healing, etc.? No, the answer is no. We don't see anybody feeding the 5,000. This week, Dan and I went over and we packed boxes of food, about, I don't know, four or five hundred boxes, and and that's how we fed the 5,000 because we worked and we did this. We didn't reach into one box and continue to pull out food. It was provided by a variety of means that came together. There were probably 10 or, or 15 of us in there packing those boxes and stacking those boxes. That's the way that the church functions today. We get involved and we do those things. But if we can't do the things that Jesus did, why did he say these things? What is this referring to? Now, the works that Christ is referring to that are empowered by the same Holy Spirit that came upon Mary for his conception be summarized in, in these three ways. Okay, These are mine. I, I searched them out and found them. They are spiritual works that take place when we proclaim the truth of the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. The greatest miracle that we see today, as we talked about in Sunday school, is at one instant we have someone who is an enemy of God, someone who hates God, someone who has no business before the throne of grace. And then they hear the gospel and the Spirit works in their lives and suddenly they are adopted as a child of God. Now they have every right to be at the throne of grace. They have every right to approach our Heavenly Father. They bear a new name, a new inheritance, a new home. That is a miracle. Now you say, well, yeah, but, you know, what about the withered hand and all of a sudden the hand was straight? We have an enemy of God who's now a child of God. And how did that happen? Because the Spirit indwelt the believer who shared the gospel and was the instrument of the delivery of the grace of Jesus Christ. We do not have saving power. Mary did not have saving power. She simply bore the Son of God. We are, in a sense, depositories of the Holy Spirit so that we can be demonstrators of the power of the Holy Spirit. And part of that demonstration is proclaiming the gospel in word and deed and watching the Spirit work. Secondly, the verse refers to anybody who is a believer, anyone who has faith in me. There's a diversity of gifts, but any testimony that a believer gives can be used by the Lord. You think, well, I've never shared my faith with somebody who's actually believed. I mean, yeah, they know that I believe, know I go to church, I've told them about the church, but, but, you know, I'm really kind of shy, that's not my personality, and, uh, you know, I've talked to people about it, but there doesn't seem to be anything there. They've never believed. 
We have to understand that at any moment the Lord might bring an opportunity into our lives to demonstrate or to proclaim the things of Christ, and he at that moment might use you to create such a great miracle in this world, the miracle of salvation. Any believer. Why? You say, well, I'm pretty pitiful, Rand. Well, I've been pretty pitiful too, okay? I have muddled the words. I have been weak. I have not declared them with any forcefulness, but yet the Lord has done great things. Why? Because it's his strength. It is his power. It is not ours. It is his power. Thirdly, the preaching of the gospel is to be accompanied by deeds. There's nothing miraculous in and of the deeds themselves, but it is the deeds done. Why? Because the grace of Jesus Christ compels me to do these things. Deeds done in his name. That's where we see the miraculous. Now, how has the Spirit come upon you? Well, three, four weeks ago, I gave you a homework assignment. Do you remember that assignment? Some of you do because you have emailed me or told me about it, told me your uh, experiences with it. That assignment was to pay attention to those that you come in contact with and see if they had a sense of uh, a burden, a pain, something was in their lives, and that you would ask them a question, how may I ask the Lord to bless you today? And I've received a variety of of responses. Most of the responses have been very positive. Most of you have said, who have responded to me, have said, you know what, I did that. I asked them, and they were very receptive. Some of you had said they were so receptive I was late for the next thing I had to go to, because they began to go, okay, I told you they might get puked on um, with, with all their stuff that was inside. I think only one person mentioned, mentioned a negative response, okay, but you We're being used by the Spirit to seek out the needs of others and to minister to those needs. And it was simply a question. It was simply a question. And those of you who heard that, those of you who participate in that, you got to be used of the Spirit. Now, a couple of you responded, you know, I knew what I was supposed to do. And... I had prayed that the Lord would provide me opportunities for it. And you know what? He did. He put me in a room with one person that I could tell was struggling. Or he put me in a position or on the phone with somebody and I could hear their pain, but I chickened out. I won't ask for hands of who chickened out. Uh, Because I have chickened out in the past, okay, where I knew the Lord had done this because this is what I had prayed for. And I guess I was so paralyzed by the shock that he would actually do exactly what I had hoped he would do that I froze. And and some of you froze. And you you told me that. You said, I knew I was doing it. I knew it was just exactly what I had prayed for, but I didn't follow through. Now, I think we learn most from our failures. We learn most from the times that we don't do what we're supposed to because we see, oh, I I did lose that opportunity. I was the vehicle of the Holy Spirit. I had been empowered, and the Lord had ordered things in my life, but yet I didn't act upon it. Mary was the vehicle for the Lord. The Lord brought Christ to her. What did she say? Well, Be it to me as the Lord desires. What was she going to say? No, don't do that, Lord. It's too late. 
Okay, it was too late for Mary. But she was obedient in all that. The Lord sends the Spirit to indwell and empower us. And what do we say? Oh, may it be to me as the Lord desires. desires. But then what do we have to do? We have to act on it. It's not simply as if the Lord comes to us like Mary and says, boom, here you are. The Lord says, here I am. I'm going to empower you to do something. Then what do we have to do? We have to do it. Okay? We have to do it. We have to take the step and act upon the grace that is given to us. Here you have Mary who bears the Christ, the Savior. The Lord comes upon her for whatever reason. It was nothing within Mary that the Lord saw that said, oh, this is a special girl and I'm going to use her. He just simply chose her and said, this is the way that it's going to be. And she said, I'm obedient to you. There's nothing special within us except that Christ has saved us, except that the Lord has chosen to indwell us with his spirit. And now what does he call us to do? We have to put it to use. We shouldn't be surprised when we pray for something and the Lord does it because he wants to use us. He says, I haven't given you the Holy Spirit so you can sit on it. I haven't empowered you so that you can do nothing. I've empowered you so that you might be demonstrators of the grace that I have given to you. This is what the Lord calls us to do. Your homework assignment is not over. Okay, This is an ongoing thing. I want you to get to the point where you ask if you can pray for somebody and they look at you and say, do you know so-and-so? Because they ask me the same question. Okay? We have to permeate the area in which we live with the grace of Christ. That's why we have been empowered by the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are weak and feeble, and, and why you have chosen us is beyond us, but we are so grateful that you have, and we sometimes, Lord, are so inadequate with this wonderful power you give us. But Lord, we know what you call us to do. And every once in a while, when we are obedient, we see this power at work. We see lives changed around us. We see that in the midst of our weakness, you do things that we can't even dream or imagine. Because it is your strength at work. Lord, may it be to us as you desire. For you have filled us with your spirit Now, Lord, don't let our wills get in the way. Don't let our selfishness or or our our weakness or our fears, for whatever reason, get in the way. That we might live in spirit-led boldness, never shying away from the things of the gospel. And that whenever the things of Christ come from our mouths or the works come from our hands, that they might be done in gentleness. They might be said with hearts filled with compassion and confidence in your work. Lord, for the world so desperately needs to see and hear the things that we know to be true. The things of Jesus Christ, the Savior. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Let's stand to sing together.